You are listening to Revealing Real Estate Podcast, where we dive into getting over your fear of taking risk in real estate and making money while you sleep. I'm Nico Pedizano, your host and real estate guru with over 20 years of experience. It's time to get real. So I'd like to welcome today's episode on Revealing Real Estate Podcast, a gentleman uh, who is a very savvy investor in, in multifamily investments and runs his own syndicator or syndicate company who focuses on sourcing, underwriting, sponsoring, and capital raising for deals. Uh, he began his real estate career in software technology, uh, buying multi multifamily residential. Um, he started first in smaller properties, focusing on finding betters to repair, improve, and managing. Sounds a little bit about myself currently right now. And then shifting his focus on partnering with other ambitious real estate investors to acquire large properties. So I'd like to welcome to the show, John Todorud. John, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Nick, thank you very much for inviting me. This is an awesome opportunity. Today. I really look forward to sharing some insights and, and experiences in the multifamily world. It's it's a tremendously exciting and rewarding set of opportunities and and um, look forward to digging deeper into topics that are um, that I think are relevant for, for you and your audience. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, John, was because I'm at the point within my career. I've been I've been a real estate agent for 20 years here in Toronto. I run my own broker successfully with my with my wonderful wife. I've done a multitude of different investments in regards to real estate, whether that be renovating, uh, building properties, uh, being a landlord. It's fascinating to me about the uh, syndication business or being a syndicator within the business itself. So I want people to understand maybe if you could start off by giving us a little bit about your background story, which is very interesting, how you got into your business right now. And I'm definitely going to have a few more questions that I want to pick your brain about, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, for sure. I mean, Nick, you're in a great position to to make a little bit of a transition. And this hardly even a transition into multifamily. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of people that have done that. And really, uh, people of a, such a wide diversity of skills and professions have skills and talents they can they can leverage to be successful in the multifamily world. And and um, you've got a great set being so, so strong in uh, the real estate market already. Um, my, my background started in, uh, I had, had a great IT jobs. I had software development was working in small companies, managing other software engineers, and uh, had my own business for a while, and then was a software consultant for a number of years. And through the course of that, I mean, you make decent income, and um, you're successful. I, I realized that what was most fulfilling for me was was having having control over, over uh, the investments in my life, not just putting something in and earn. Um, exchange traded fund or mutual fund or stocks or things like that. Those are great. A 401a, I did all that, and they they were successful, and then sometimes they weren't. And and but there's nothing you can do other than study it even harder and try not to make the same mistakes again. But I like the idea of control. And so a few years back, about 13 years ago, was when I when I decided to uh, to buy my first properties, and I and I um. I'd started small. It was like right down the road, a three-unit property that was uh, um, that had tenants, or presumably it did. But I wasn't educated in it, and I wasn't experienced. And I and I just knew that whatever problems I encountered, I'd be able to figure out and and uh, and bought into the property, and then found, needed to find tenants and write leases and and um, mm-hmm. and start making me repairs myself and driving down there to do that. And so I was taking the telephone calls during the day at my job. Um, super inconvenient, but managed to make it work. I bought another one similar to that and then owned them, owned them several years and did all the, the, the um, I mean, found people to do the work. I mean, that was a, an early lesson is that I can't, I can't do the repairs myself. I'm not even all that good at it, but it's not just a good use, not a good use of my time. And so my time was spent finding people to do these these um these jobs um eventually sold it had a good amount of equity bought larger properties and through the course of all that just started going to uh, multifamily conferences I like the multifamily industry um and I started going to conferences and meeting other people who did the same thing that I did and who were successful they didn't have just a handful of units like I did they had thousands of units and 
they uh, they seem just like me. They weren't um, smarter or more assertive or aggressive or more outgoing or more anything than I was. And I figured out this is something that I could do. I just need to learn it. And so I spent the time learning it. I took classes and and became a licensed broker um, just to add credibility to my background and and also uh, took some coaching in the process. But I realized that buying larger properties, I mean, you start buying into smaller properties and you're putting your own money into it. Maybe you have a couple friends who are putting their money into it. Um, not long into it, you get tapped out. And you're, you don't have any more money to invest in it yourself, but you still want to buy. You've developed the skill. You know how to look for these properties and figure out what a good opportunity is. And you've got a skill to do that. And, um, and so how do you leverage that? Um, how do you buy bigger properties? And it's, it's clearly with other people's money and, and people who recognize the value of a real estate investment, just like you do. And they may not have the time or knowledge or experience or interest in talking to brokers and, and putting offers in and buying properties, but they do want to invest. And so those are, those are people that, uh, that have an interest in what you do. And if you're successful at it, they'll want to join you in buying a property and you're effectively pulling other people's money. Um, it's, it's for the most part, it's syndicating. There are other variations of it, but that's pretty much what I do. It started syndicating. And then I, about six or seven years ago, and then I've been syndicating, um, larger multifamily properties since then. Um, yeah. Has it always been for the same group, John, of, of investors, or have you expanded that to a big variety of different investors now that I've invested into your company? It is expanded, definitely. Um, it, the, the group of investors, if they invest in one of your deals, it's typically anywhere from $50,000 to $200,000, and uh, they might not have a lot more funds that they choose to put in real estate until they can kind of see what it's like, what the performance is like, what kind of cash returns are they getting, and and um, how how is this operator, this syndicator, someone like me, actually doing in managing the property? Are they are they raising occupancy rates? Are they getting rent rates up? Are they are they um, able to distribute cash? All that stuff. But so they're they're not necessarily going to jump right into your next deal, and you got to um, if you're out looking for more deals. You need to find more investors, and so there, there are. I mean, that's um, that's something I spend. I mean, any of us in this do, doing syndication will spend a fair amount of time uh, trying to uh, uh, meet people who potentially might like to invest in in uh, in apartment investments and in multifamily, and and uh, because we want to do larger deals. There are. There are good economies of scale in a larger deal. Um, there's also a stronger sense of safety and 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 risk mitigation in a larger deal, and that's that's really it's my objective, and it's a lot of people's objective. Not everybody's, because a lot of people like to stay with smaller properties, and they have tremendous success in those areas. And for me, it's larger larger multifamily properties, and so they they require more um, a bigger team and. And um, so there's two aspects you asked about are the investors of the same. Um, there's two aspects to it. One is the people who will who will invest the equity capital in order to make the acquisition. And then the second group of people are people who are um, going to manage the property with you. They are your general partners. And do you want what? I mean, it, it's a team sport. You're not going to do a syndication all by yourself. You need other people to help you. Um, and I'm, I'm no different. I, I, there are things that I'm good at and things that I'm not as good at, but I can find the people who are good at these other things. And I'm one, two, three, four other people to join you in a management team. Um, that's, that's completely fine. And, and I, um, I've had good team members on my management team and I always talk with more. I'm, I'm not settled into one, one group of, of, uh, management team members uh but i like the people that i've worked with in the past and and i would definitely work with them again i just uh, always have my ear to the ground looking for more qualified people to work with the reason why this is so interesting to me is because at the point of my life within my career is i'm looking and i've been asked this many times is you know why don't you start you know uh a syndication and and start getting investors 
you know, I'm very good at finding properties. I, I find wonderful opportunities based within my business, 20 years of experience. Uh, I, I run a, a wholesale company looking for wholesale deals that are below market value that need some work. We flip them, we turn around, um, and then put them back on the market sometimes for a profit. Sometimes we're holding these properties for a little bit long term. But most of the time, and the majority of the investments that I made were for my own personal portfolio. And I always just went out there and used the bank's money to the point where it's come where I want to continue doing this. I want to expand. But now I don't have the capital or enough capital right now to continue it on a larger scale that I feel like I can continue this. And I want to learn the basis of actually starting. So having you on this podcast is a really good opportunity for me to really pick your brain quite a bit. So excuse the ignorance when it comes to the questions I'm going to ask you here. The properties that you guys look at and the opportunities that you guys would look to scope out, are these more for... Uh, short-term in and out scenarios where you go in, you retrofit them, get new rental income from them, and then put them back on the market and flip them? Or are you guys building this on a five-year plan? How do you sell this to your investors? Uh, good question. It It is uh, a longer-term hold. It, we, um, ha- having said that, it, it, it can, it's, it is analogous to a, a, um, a fix and flip to a certain degree, or most likely it's a longer term hold. I mean, so what, what, what you do in your, your work is, is, is difficult. And you, and the fact that you've been successful means that you've gotten very good at it and you can, you can leverage those skills as I mentioned before, you can leverage those skills um, very effectively in the multifamily world, looking for good properties. That's not easy to do talking to people and, and learning about them. Um, what I, what I do is is uh, mostly I'm looking for stabilized apartment complexes that have good occupancy. And what good occupancy generally means is over 90%. It's not a hard and fast rule. But um, it when you get into that category, the types of loans you can qualify for are better. They're better terms and lower rates. And um, it, if you... Uh, um, if you find a property like that, that what I what I also look for is the opportunity to do something to the property. So even though it has decent occupancy, like 90, 95% occupancy, it might have units that are old classic units like linoleum countertops and 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 carpets, appliances that are years old and and they're just occasionally upgraded when a tenant moves out and the and the property looks or the unit looks bad. But there's no concerted effort for renovations to make make something look real nice, and that's what I try to do. I look for properties that where the owner has not done a lot to the to the unit, where there's um, where there is uh, an opportunity to to um, not necessarily gut a whole unit, but to do strategic upgrades depending on the market and depending on what condition it's in already. Some markets you don't want to over upgrade, but but I like to spend a few thousand dollars on an upgrade, and and knowing that um, you know I've already done my rent comp analysis, I've, I've determined that the rents in that area w- I could get this amount of rent by spending this amount of dollars, and um, and and here's the return I would project by doing all of that. I've got all that in an underwriting spreadsheet, and and it takes some time to develop all that, but those are. Those are how I determine if it's a good deal or not, and when I get into the deal, um, hopefully I'm maintaining occupancy, but I'm 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 renovating units as they become available, or I might just end a lease if the rent is really low, or particularly if it's an undesirable tenant, I'll just end the lease and go in and renovate the unit and lease it out at a at a that higher rent. Um, so now, having said that, um, I mean th- those are those are typically longer term holds and. I, I would project a, a, a five-year hold, but it could be three years, it could be seven years, and the loan that we get um, can't expire sooner than that five-year term. Preferably, it's at least like a seven-year term or so to the loan before the, before the amount becomes due. Um, so at a five-year period, we're owning that property. We're spending the time and, and effort on renovating it in the first year, one year, 18 months, two years, whatever, Whatever, however long it takes. Hopefully, not more than two years. It's typically less than a year and a half. And um, and we're getting those units. Um, and and a, 
and a much better condition and we're renting them out. Then we've got our income up and we're operating that property. We're, we're, uh, we're creating a solid community and, and the cash flow is where we want it. We're returning cash flow to our investors or getting cash distributions and, and, um, and they, they like it that way. They want to keep receiving their cash distributions and we want to stable up property that yeah, sure. Is it is, is those cash distributions? Are they monthly or is it yearly or is it when you sell the property? They are typically quarterly. And different people do it different ways. I mean, you could do a monthly distribution. I've been in some deals where um, they prefer to get money out on a monthly basis, and and um, but most of mine have been quarterly cash distribu distributions. And the, um, but the principal investment always stays in. This is just. Yeah. If, if I keep you and I and I put in a hundred thousand dollars into into uh, Carnal Oak Investments, and you you're you're going to give me kind of a, a, a an analysis of okay, we're going to look at this project. This is the value of it. These are what we can get the rental return returns at by putting X amount of dollars inside there. These this is what what um this is what your percentage of of profits will look like. On a quarterly basis, and these are what your return should should come out. Yes, not how it more or less operates to your to your your shareholders. Yeah, and, and so um, you were looking at really two uh, ways as an, as you for you as an investor to get your money back. There are two two different ways that that's that's being done. The first is the cash cash distributions, which is it's excess cash that the business does not need to operate. It's not like a company that's going to um, hold on to retained earnings and then invest in, in buying other companies or invest in new products or things like that. You're typically not going to do that in a multifamily asset. You might need to hold on to cash to do some major capital improvement or something, but typically you've built in cash at the beginning to do your major capital improvements. Um, you're distributing that cash on a regular basis, hopefully quarterly or monthly or whatever, whatever it is that you've set out to do, and and you 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 tell the investor that at the beginning, this is what 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 we're going to do. Then the second way that you get your money back is is through a share of the profits when the when they sell the property. When the syndicator has chosen to sell the property, uh, it uh, it is hopefully and almost always. <laughs> At an appreciated value um, in recent months. Real estate in long term should always appreciate, right? The best time is to buy or in down markets because you know it's only uphill from there. It, it is, yes. It, and it's, it's difficult to do. And you're seeing that today. It's like, I'm not going to invest in real estate today because it's so far down and, and all, all of that. But um, the astute investor knows that that's really the right opportunity, the time to buy. Is there a certain amount of investors that you'll put into one type of investment? Is there a cap that you'll do it at? Or if you have 20 investors that want to invest, do you go out there? And it's a twofold question. Do you go out there and find the property first? Or do you raise the capital first, get your end goal, look for what property is going to be the right one for, that for your Well, it, you're effectively doing both at the same time. You're looking for, for properties and you're talking to people who might like to invest. Um you, uh, the model that I use, and this is not everybody's model. The model that I use is, uh, it, once I have spoken with investors and I know that they're interested and qualified to invest in a property, then I am staying in communication with them. They'll receive a newsletter and, and they know how to get a hold of me anytime. And I'll sometimes reach out and set up other meetings. Then I'm also looking for a property. I'm talking to brokers and I see a bunch of properties. I'm testing the financial analysis, underwriting, looking at the properties. And once I drill into one or more properties that I that I think I would like to buy, then I'm taking those steps to uh, put in offers. And, and um, then I start thinking about reaching out to these investors and, and letting them know that, hey, this property, I'm real interested in it. I've got an offer and I think I'm going to get a deal. Or I might wait until I've got a deal to them, but if they're qualified investors and they're in my list, then they will hear about it and they will choose whether that's an investment that they want to put in at that time. Right. So they're not putting a money in ahead of time. Other people have like a fund they're raising for, and then 
And then when the property comes around, they don't have to ask the investor. They've already got the money in the bank. Now, in my model, I'm asking the investor and I'm presenting the deal and and they're making a, a yes or no um, choice based on on that deal. And then they'll put their, their money into that particular deal. How does the financing aspect work, John? If you got, and I'm going to give you a, set, a quick scenario or an example, oh. if you got we raised a million dollars. Uh-huh. I find a property that's valued at $2 million. Need to get financing now for a million. How do you, who gets the financing on the deal? But one of the general partners. And so I, I'm before going into a deal, I'm going to know who the general partners are. If it's, if it's my deal, I've gone out and found it. Then, um, there, there are, uh, um, I, I will have, have agreed to partner with, uh, one or more other people for as the general partners who will be the management team for the whole duration of ownership of this. And these are people I obviously, obviously need to know really well and, and have a, a strong trust that I can work with them over that period of time. So I needed to have known them for a period of time. And so the group of us will go in, um, one of us may have, uh, a particular strength in, in dealing with lenders and, and finding uh, the right loan product. Um, I, I have done that uh, for a lot of my deals. I've also had a, a mortgage broker. I'm highly qualified commercial mortgage broker as in part of my team, and and he has taken the lead in that uh, for another deal. But but I'm I'm completely comfortable talking with uh, the lending sources and analyzing and coming up with the right deal. But if I've got other general partners on a deal, I'm um, certainly they have a say in it as well. I'm not. It's not a, um, a solo operation and I need their help and I would elicit their help in doing something like that. And so we'll talk with, I, I like the mortgage brokers. I think they're great people and they're so knowledgeable. Um, other people go directly to a bank. They have a, a banker relationship and and they can get a bank loan. Um, and that's good too. I I, uh, I buy in other parts of the country. As I mentioned to you earlier, I'm from Seattle, but I don't buy in the Seattle or, or Northwest market. I buy in in um, southern Midwest markets across the U.S. and um, and so I I uh, I'm not going to know the local banks in in those markets, uh, but I have mortgage brokers who know sources of funding for commercial real estate, and they have great terms. Typically, um, the agency that they call them the agency lenders, the Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae lenders, uh, they they are uh, the lender of choice. The best deals if you qualify for it. And no, so but I'll yeah, but I, I think the piece of it, but, and that's great, but there's many different avenues of, of getting money, but I think, uh, I just want to know how title works, right? So if Cardinal Oak is buying the property under, on the Cardinal Oak Investments, I'm assuming, is uh, that you do it? And I, then I, you have your, your offer under that name. Yeah. And you offer under that name. Yeah. Uh, you, you're wondering how, um, like, the entity structures and things like that. For right. A- yeah, just so that, yeah. So let's say somebody who wants to, who's listening to the show right now, wants to start their own syndication company, yeah. and they want to start doing this and, you know, do exactly what you do, or maybe something that I'm going to do. And I wanted to get into the business, and I'm just starting out doing this. Yeah. And I have a group of investors that want to invest into my into my company, whether uh-huh. it be uh, OP Team Investments, right? Yeah. Um, and I raised a million dollars. Am I buying that that product under OP Investments, and then having and then having the group uh, have ownership of that of that investment company as well? How does it work? Now, now um, you you will create a new legal entity for that. In the U.S., it's typically a limited liability corporation. Perfect. And That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll um y- your offer for me. I didn't. John Totterud at Cardinal Oak Investments. My offer is going to say all that. It's just like here's a here I am, John Totterud, and Cardinal Oak offers you this amount of money. And enjoying this episode, leave us a review, letting us know what you want to learn next, and make sure you're following our podcast to be the first to hear our new episodes every Friday. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube for full video and behind the scenes access. In the offer, it'll say, um before close we will create an entity and we'll sign it um and the property everything will be owned by this entity and it will be a single purpose entity we're not going to use that entity that llc llc is the entity and we're not going to use that llc 
for anything else except this property. And so so that's important from two aspects. One is the investors. The investors don't want to know that um, they're exposed to liability from other business you might have done, that you're going to take the money and go out and buy another property with it. But also the lender, the lender is absolutely going to require that. They're, they're going to want to know um, that this is all you're doing with that LLC. They, um, you're not allowed to go out and do anything else. If you are, you're in violation of the loan and they can call the loan. You do not want that to happen. And so, um, you've got to, you've got to obey their rules. Um, and yes, it, it, it makes sense. You, um, from a liability, uh, if you've got two or more properties and, um, uh, somebody sues you on behalf of one of the properties, then, um, the extent of the any bearing on the other property, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just for yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that's great. Um, what are what are some of the obstacles or some 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 of the struggles that you faced early on within your business? Because I'm sure we all go through a little bit of that, right? Is there anything that you can share through your experiences that people should look out for, or you know, maybe want to fast track their their business to get to where you are in a little quicker pace? Yeah, yeah. Um, getting training is is very helpful. Uh, look for a, uh, a training organization that has, has, uh, well-developed modules for, for you to learn about syndication or about buying real estate. I, I would, I didn't initially want to learn about syndication. I just wanted to learn about, um, purchasing multifamily, but along the line, I realized that's really the direction they need to go. Um, that's one thing. Um, a, a lot of, uh, other hints along the way. I have underestimated renovation costs or what it requires to repair certain things early on and and um, gotten in a little bit of trouble with that. It's just not not like a major trouble, but had to put more money in than what I expected. And it's kind of a, um, a rude interruption. But you have tough conversations to have with your investors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I fortunately did that on properties of my own before I had investors. Um, once I had investors, I was further down the road and more knowledgeable and experienced. And, and there were people on my team that were helping me with this. We were getting qualified people to assess the repairs needed for a, a property before we bought the property. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay at that, but I'm, I'm not nearly as qualified as, as a lot of other people are. Um, that, that's one thing. Another, another is, um, uh, uh, in buying in the right market. Um, I've been in good markets, but I, I, my markets have improved substantially since, uh, um, since I started. I mean, if you, uh, you know, you, you're in, in the Toronto area and if you like Toronto, um, that may be a great market. I don't know. I don't know the Toronto market. There are a lot of great markets in both the U S and Canada. And, um, and I've chosen some of them and somebody else says, well, what about this market? What about that market? And I'm my only answer is, I I know those are those are good markets as well. It's just I've got to zero in on a few of them and become really knowledgeable and informed about these markets. And I've chosen these for now. I'm not that I wouldn't add another one in the future, but you really need to know your market and um and choose ones that have the right right attributes to them. You know, they need to be population growth, jobs growth. You know, um, look at the uh, household incomes and um, housing prices, and are companies moving into them, and what's the population, and and a few of these metrics, crime rates, and things like that. And it's not just the big city; it's it's the submarket around that city that that is most important to you. That will determine your success or failure in that property, really, because whether you can get tenants or not, tenants not going to come into a property that that's in a war zone area, that where there's graffiti around, where there's um, a lot of other uh, shady businesses where that um, um, crime rates up. Yeah, high crime. That's that's a deterrent for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And then, how do you set up, John? I'm sure there's a management fee, a management cost through the process, right? Your time is valuable, and you can't do it for free. What do you normally uh, charge for managing these projects for the investment? There are some fees involved, ideally. If if you're a passive investor and you want to invest with a syndicator, 
um, like myself or like a lot of other ones, you, you want to know that the syndicator's interests are aligned with yours. And so the syndicator should get paid after the after the, the passive investors, the limited partners are paid. And so the structures of these deals are typically that um, the first um, X amount of cash flow that it produces in that quarter uh, goes to the limited partners, the, the passive investors. Then if there's more, then maybe it all goes to the general partners or maybe a portion goes to the general partners and and a portion goes to the limited partners. There are different ways of cutting all that up. That's one way that that the general partners can earn fees from doing this business is by operating well, by doing a good job at the uh, um, <clears throat> operations of the apartment. Um, a lot of properties, and I've done this also, will also charge an asset management fee. And so asset management is different from property management. Uh, property management are the people that are on site, that are day-to-day, -day, they're taking the phone calls to fix issues, they are collecting rents, they are finding new tenants and all that day-to-day -day operations. Um, if you're a tenant and you got a problem, it's the property manager who you need to call. Um, the asset manager is the ownership team, the managers, the general partners of the, on the ownership team who are deciding things like, how many units should we be renovating? Uh, how much should we spend on a renovation? What kind of finishes should we do on these renovations? Do we want high-end granite countertops or is that too much for this particular market? Um, making decisions if you have capital improvement or capital expense funds and there's there's a problem like with the roof or the gutters or with overhanging trees or, or, or with various things like that. Where do we spend the money? Your asset management team should be determining that. And they're going to be on the phone with your property manager on a regular basis. It might be weekly or even more frequent than that, or maybe bi-weekly, dependence on the, the condition of the property. And they should, they are, um, they're getting paid a fee and it might be one to 2% of, of the, um, uh, the rest that you're getting in order to, uh, to, to keep performing that. Um, if you as a passive investor, you want to know that your your general partners are are focused and and are doing well by owning this that they're not just losing interest because ah oh, it's, it's um it's it's experiencing some problems and so we're not as interested in it anymore and and they're gonna I mean they're not not that they're gonna walk away but they might be less motivated than than oh otherwise you might you you need to know that. Um, there is some compensation there for them. They're not going to get rich off of asset management fees, and it's not ripping off limited partners at all. Um, their their big payday is when they sell the property. They've got to get the value of that property up, and and there it's got to be over and above the the passive investor. First, the passive investors have to do well, then the general partners can do well. And yeah, and I think that's the big key, right? Is 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 making the money over time through inflation. Where when you sell that property, you know, there's a, there's a good spread out for for the investors and for the you know for the passive investors for it. What are some of the returns that that somebody through your uh, through your company, uh, John, will will make? Uh, what are some of the what are the what are the returns look like? For uh, we we are typically projecting um, returns of about. Uh, an average annual return of about 20%. Um, and so for a five-year period, um, you're, you should double your money between cash flow and um, the appreciation of the property, you should double your money. Um, we've done better than that on average. Um, and, and it's, we try, I mean, everybody says this and everybody tries to be, we've tried to be as conservative as we can. Um, and in, in terms of what our projections are, but, but, um, you know, these aren't guarantees, uh, the cash distribution amounts might be six, seven, 8% or so, and depends on deal by deal. Um, which means you're, if you invest a hundred thousand dollars in a deal and, and, um, the preferred cash flow distribution return is 7%, then Assuming that the property is producing this much cash, you would get seven thousand dollars through the course of that year. 
that's just your cash return. That's not appreciation and that does not reduce your total capital investment. You still have the same amount of equity that you started with. It's just cash return. And um, and then you'll get a share of the equity, the appreciation when you sell the deal. You give or provide any guarantees on a return? I don't. No. Yeah. And, and I don't know the hat, how anybody can. I've I've heard about a guarantee. This market's going down, right? We're in a market where interest rates went up, you know, values come down. Yeah. You know, as long as it's producing cash flow, I think, you know, you can determine based on an approximate return on the investment for that monthly income that that property will generate. But you can't predict markets, right? Whether the market goes up by 10% per year or 5% per year or 20%. Yeah, yeah. But a legitimate operator is not going to offer a guarantee. If you hear that, you should... You should be super skeptical about what's going on behind that. How can they do that? What you know? What, what's backing up their guarantee? Um, the credible operators just have a track record that you should look at. Like they they've not done capital calls. They've they've not lost investors' money, returned properties to the bank. Uh, they the, maybe maybe they had a property that they projected twenty percent and it only returned twelve percent. Um, that's not a deal killer. Twelve percent is a, is a good return. Not what you were expecting in one case, but it's still a good return. And hopefully their average is is over 20% um, looking at a deal. But um, you look at all those things. You assess the operators and and um, what their team is look, looks like, their their experience, and have they gone full cycle in deals? Have they meaning that have they have they sold some of the deals that they that they bought, or are they brand new and and still buying deals? And and they still might be good, but uh, this may be a dumb question for you, Joppa. How do you guys determine when you're going to sell a property? Uh, it it is uh, several things. Um, we start off ownership of every property. Well, actually, even before that, um, looking at a property, we in, in order for us to decide that it's something we want to buy and put a team together and look for investor capital on it, we need to know what we're going to do to the, that property to improve value. So so it becomes a business plan, a business execution plan. And that execution plan is communicated to the investors. This is what we're going to do, how, how we're going to do it. We're going to um, invest whatever, $6,000 in renovating a unit. And we'll be able to add $150 a month to the rent after we put it back on the market, whatever those numbers happen to be. And 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 therefore, they produce this this return. And th that all of, all of that information is in your business plan. A lot of times... You're out there renovating units, and um, and you have reached the goals of your business plan before five years. You're you're maybe three years into it, and um, and and let's let's go back to say 2020, 2021. There there was an excited excess demand from buyers for multifamily properties. If you're in the middle of that kind of a market, you might decide. Wow, now's the time I should really be selling because this is uh, um, I'm going to get top dollar and return investors money to our investors, and they can go put it in something else or they can sit on it for a little while. But we're gonna we're gonna sell it now as opposed to wait for five years. Other times, like if you've got a property now and it's cash flowing and doing well, um, you might have been thinking of selling it because you executed your plan. Uh, but it's a difficult market today, as you know. Interest rates are up, and and investors are skittish, and um, uh, there it's it's difficult to find a buyer for a property today. And so you might choose to hold on to it for a while, whatever that number is—six months or a year or two years or something like that. Uh, but who collectively decides? Is it a group decision at that point, or would would you, as being the president of uh, Carnal Oaks Investments say, okay, guys, I think this is the right time. We've hit our projections. Our numbers, uh, we've arrived to our numbers. I think it's time for us to put this on. Um, it, it, the, they're, the management team collectively decides. Okay. Yes. The limited partner investors, passive investors, um, they don't have a say in management. Having said that, though, smart general partners know who their passive investors are and there's likely a lot of them that, are, that have experience, and there's no reason that you can't call up some of these, some of your passive investors, and say, "Hey, we're thinking about this, and what do you think? Should we hold on to the property, or, or should we uh, take a, um, get maybe take a little bit lower of a of a price today, 
uh, would you like your money back? Or, you know, just kind of feel out your investor base. Um, if you've got a small enough number of investors, um, that might be a great way to go. If you've got 50 or 100 investors, it's really impractical to do that. Um, but the management team needs to be qualified to do that. And and really, um, if you've got one or two people on the management team who are just adamant that this is not the time to sell the property, um, it is best not to sell. You shouldn't be just taking a vote and moving forward and saying, well, sorry, we overruled you. Your management team really needs to be together on these things. And and if you uh, haven't persuaded the rest of them that now's the time to sell the property, then then uh, maybe you haven't done a good enough job and maybe there's not a good enough justification to sell it. Um, you've got strong, smart uh, people on your management team. Uh, you should expect uh, critical feedback from them. Yeah, this is pretty good, John. Uh, you've given some, uh, some really good insightful information, especially for those that want to look at some new opportunities. Um, because I do believe as the market that we're in in Toronto right now, Canada has a really large volume of immigration coming within the country. We're bringing in about 450,000 immigrants per year. And those projections are set to take for the next 10 years, all the way to at least 2030 for sure. And a lot of those immigrants actually end up coming to Toronto and Vancouver are the two main kind of uh, cities that they'll actually go to to actually start their residencies or, you know, building a new life. Um, so multifamily is huge. Now the city is looking at, because of the amount of immigration, to get these multi-doors come in where you have, if you have a rear-lane garage or a garage within the, the backyard of the property, you can make that into a garden suite and generate multi-dwelling family units. And those are going to be moving, you know, really rapidly. And they make if I was to start one of these syndicate companies, I definitely will look at those opportunities there that can generate multifamily incomes where nowadays, you know, with homes being so expensive and we're in a little bit of housing prices because of values, to look at those opportunities where we can put a daughter or a son that doesn't have the capabilities or the or the financial backing to move out on their own and still need to live with their parents where the parents could still invest within the rear of those backyards and finding those properties for people to start buying. This is something that I've been thinking about. It's hard to get started. Maybe once you get started and I get my feet moving, uh, people ask me all the time, hey, Nick, you know, is there any way I can invest with you and get into some of your deals? And I just never, you know, was a, I was just always in the rat race of selling real estate all the time, right? And just dealing with my own products. I never really thought outside the box until, you know, the past, you know, few months that I've been looking to put this together and start my own syndication really and becoming a syndicator for sure for, for a lot of potential clients that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, so what, what, how was it at the very beginning for you, John? Was it difficult? How did you start with your first deal? Do you remember your first deal? My, my, um, the first property that I bought, I was right after the 2008 crisis. I was actually looking for properties before that 2006 or seven or so went out and had talking to friends and, and driving out to properties and seeing them, but just never fortunately never, never ended up buying one. I mean, not, not cause I, I thought, oh, there's a big crisis coming. I wasn't, I didn't have a feel for that. It's just that um, there were not good deals. And so 2008 came, the market crashed 2009, and it was still down. Around that time period, 2010 or so, um, I, I, I decided, well, it's been down for a while, and and I don't know if it's going to keep going down much further, but probably not, and it might even be flattening out or starting to take off. Who knew, Who really know? You know, you, it's, it's, you look at the market as best as you can, and you have to get off the fence. You have to make a decision and do something. And so that's that's what I did. My first property is 2010. And it was small enough that it was my just myself, my family, my family money and and um and getting into it as kind of a learning experience, but also knowing that I can I can make something good out of that. And and really the second property was the same way. There are three unit and four unit properties and not too far away from me. I figured uh I can have good control of the over those. Um, how, how I got into syndication was, um, like I mentioned, is learning about it. What's the whole model about? There are legal controls around it. I needed to learn about investors and about the legal documents that are involved, private placement memorandums 
and um, <clears throat> subscription agreements, all that kind of stuff. You need to know what that's about. You need to find good attorneys and and build your other team. And and so there's a lot of those things that you you have to put in place. And yeah, I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I you you learn about it a little bit at a time, and you have more questions. You just need somebody to call and talk to. You need other people who can mentor you or coach you or at least to have been through the process before. Um, that's probably the most critical thing is that you need a team. You need people to call and like, what do I do with this step? And and I got asked about this or that and and what should the response be and should I go forward with this deal? All those things. Um, you, you need you need a good sounding board, people who have been through it. Um, they 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 help tremendously and I can't imagine doing it without people like that. Um but getting started, yeah, you're nervous. You're nervous that uh, what if I've spent all this money on things like a, a building inspection and earnest money deposit and and even now the legal agreements and I'm raising money from investors and ah, I can't raise enough money for some reason. Couldn't quite raise all that money. Well, I'm, I'm not going to get those other funds back. Those are sunk costs and I would just lose them. And so that's a highly undesirable situation to be in. And, and so you need to, to take precautions for it. Make sure you can raise the money, um, have your contract set up so that you get your earnest money deposit back or, you know, certain things like that. Or what if like over the last six months or so, interest rates have been climbing and from the springtime, every couple of weeks, it's a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you, you put a property under contract, you got an agreement from a lender, you got a quote, even a term sheet from a lender for a interest rate and a loan term and proceeds, the amount of money you're going to get on that loan. But two weeks into it, they call you up and say, it's going to be worse now. The rate is higher, the proceeds are lower. And meanwhile, you've got this property under contract, you're trying to work through it. And, and um, man, it is just a um, it undesirable way to be. You've got you're you're in a situation where you got to go back to the seller. Maybe retrade. I mean, retrade is an awful term, but it means that you're uh, you're going back with the different offers in order for me to buy this property. Yeah, we got we'll sell it for less money. That's what's happening in the interest rate market. So those are those are um, it, uh, agonizing situations to be in, but you got to realize there's a solution to it all. Maybe you walk away, um, or maybe you, uh, can get a better deal from the seller. There's, there is a solution out there. Was there ever a deal, a bad deal that you didn't like? Oh yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had one, uh, I, I did syndicate a deal in upstate South Carolina. Um, and it worked out well, we bought it and, uh, owned it for a while and sold it and our investors did well. Prior to buying that deal, I was looking at another deal in upstate South Carolina and, and, um, and it, it was, I knew it needed a lot of work. Um, I couldn't really tell based on discussions with the bro broker and, and uh, other people who went to that site. Um, and, and so I, I put in an offer and had a pricing agreement and had under contract and, and, um, and did a walkthrough. I mean, I visited the property, did a walkthrough and that property was just falling apart. The floors were, were, um, warped. It was like, like walking through, uh, one of these, um, haunted houses or something it, like the, it, it was just crazy because the different, different, um, posts underneath the flooring on the first floor were sinking at a different rate than others were. And, but they still rented it out. It was mostly like 90, 95% occupied, but these people, they were paying a, a really low rent. They didn't care what was going on. They knew they were getting a a smoking deal. And I walked through it and had a con couple contractors walk through it. And the amount of the estimates that they put in for it were more than what I was paying for this property. And I thought, man, you should just take this building down and build a brand new one. It's not something I do, but I had to walk away from it. I mean, I spent a, a, some amount of money, not huge amount, but, you know, took a trip there and walked through it and, and saw things that were just something I couldn't work with. I don't do that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not a super distressed property buyer. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what the importance is of somebody wanting or, or wanting to invest with somebody like yourself who has an eye 
uh, and has the experience of finding the right deals to get the right return. And there's a lot of people that work every day, doing a full-time job, and it's not what they do every day. And they need that guidance and they need that investment. And to me, I think the safest, most sound investment that you can make within the market is in within real estate, no matter what country you're in or no matter what market you're in. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it's better than for me and investing into, I'm not a big stock guy or, you know, I don't buy gold or oil as much as I want to get within those markets or try to, you hear all these, you know, wonderful success stories where you're making, you know, 200%, you know, yeah. upside <laughs> in a matter of a month, you know, maybe that's not going to happen within real estate, but I think in the long term, you're always going to win it. I think that's what's most important. John, listen, you've been wonderful. I think we've, we've talked maybe for over an hour. So I definitely would like to maybe get a second part to this one day that you in for another second episode on this. You've been wonderful. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You brought some wonderful insight, but I don't think I'm done with you yet. So there's a few more. I think I can get at least another episode out of you for, for sure. And I'll get my team to reach out to you to schedule another date if that's okay. And for sure. I would I would love to. It's been a fun conversation. And and I... Uh, and, and, a conversation like this, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much we can dig into in any one of these different areas. And and um, I, I think it's it's our, there's so many different aspects of it. It's sometimes hard right. to tell which one um, I, I should spend more time on. But yes, I'd be glad to dig into any any of these topics and, and just drill deeper. Yeah, and I guess, you know, people that are listening, if they wanted to invest into Cardinal Oak, they, they can definitely have that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. the um, The best way to reach out to me is is through um, a website. It's learnaboutapartments.com. Just learnaboutapartments.com, yeah. and uh, you'll get to my website. Uh, a way to enter contact information and all that. Learn about you, you offer any mentorship or guidance uh, to get people to start their own uh, syndication companies. I, I, I do not myself. I mean, I, a number of people that I've met along the line um, have asked me if I would help them and I'm completely open to it. I'm I'm glad to uh, get on like a recurring call schedule and, and see if I can um, help somebody and, and bring them along to their next step. And it, yes, I, I, I love doing that. I, I don't have a formal program and I definitely don't charge anything for, for things like that, but it helps me to, uh, to, to know that I'm helping other people. I mean, people, you started off. I appreciate off. that. You're, you're a gentleman for that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We've all had had help. I've had help from such experienced people, and and they're there to pick up the phone and call, and and um, it's the least I can do to give back to other people who are starting. That's amazing, John. I, I you're, you seems like you're a great guy. I just met you right now, uh, but you know, I, I think uh, I like to get to know you a little bit more. And really understand this avenue, this aspect of, of this different venture of, of something that I want to start getting into because I think I can help as well. Um, people make a lot of money, and I think that there's going to be a lot of upside as interest rates do start to come down. Eventually, they will. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity, and if we can start generating some some investors and get liquid, and get into the right deals within the next four to six months. I think uh, the investors that we'll put into our group will definitely flourish and be very happy with the outcome and the returns that we'll be able to provide, right? And that's what that goal is for me, you know, most importantly. Yes. Yeah. Again, John, I thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure and you've been wonderful to have on the show. Thanks again. Thank you, Nick. I look forward to talking again. Yes, it'll be fine. Looking to buy or sell? Call a team you can trust. Don't believe me? Our Google reviews say it all. Put us on your lawn, your house will be gone theopteam.com.